Well, good morning and welcome once again. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Wayne. I am the pastor here at Downtown Community. And today we are now in week three of our series called Lament. And this is a final week of this conversation about what does it mean to lament? And really, what does that mean about our relationship with God? What does he say about us? Are we really allowed to go to him and struggle or have questions or be confused or, or disagree? Can you say those things out loud? Because that is a part of what lament is. And so we started out on, on week one saying, hey, you have permission. You've got permission to go to God and say these things. And so that can bring about a struggle of like, because many of us, depending on your background, you may struggle with God's judgment being there based on your religious history or your own personal background, how you were raised or whatever it may be. We're worried about God's judgment. So we don't want to say anything that's wrong or that offends him. We're fearful of judgment. And what that really is, is we're, we're afraid of our past and what we've done or what we might do. And what that is called is sin. And so last week we engaged the conversation. Like we started with, hey, you've got permission. But then we talked about sin and God's justice that he does bring. And we actually want him to bring justice. And it is loving for God to be a just God. But he didn't just leave us in this place of judgment. He sent Christ for us to take the punishment for sin for us. So then we get what, what he, Jesus got what we deserved, which was the punishment of death and for what sin brings. And we instead got what he deserved, which is his righteousness. And that's what we call God's incredible grace. He has given us grace so that we might, through Christ, be brought back to him and not be afraid of judgment. And that means that we are free. We are free. We are free to engage God because of what Christ has done for us. And this is awesome. And so it's a great conversation, and it has everything to do with lament for us, believe it or not. And we're going to get to that at the end of our conversation today. And so I just want to help us really understand first today the security that we have and our identity that we have now in Christ. I was reading this week a really interesting story. It was there's a couple different articles written about it, and there's some interviews with this with this old mafia guy. His name uh, his name is Joseph Inuzi, and he's really known as Joseph Joe Dogs. And he has a bunch of other mafia type names: Joseph Joe Dogs or Joseph uh, Joe Drywall, and a bunch of other really random stuff that's very cliche but actually true. I think he's passed away uh, since all of this has happened, but he um, was a well-known in what became an FBI informant against the mob. He was associated with both the Gambino family and the Colombo family. And he was kind of more of a low-level type of person uh, doing different things for them. But eventually, he owed them money or something went wrong, and they put out a hit on him, and he was beaten. It was supposed to be to death, but it was almost to death. He says that he woke up in a hospital with a priest over him, reading him his last rites. He was in such bad condition. And so naturally and understandably, he wanted to get revenge on them. And so he became an informant for the FBI. And he was, he was allowed back into the family. And he was asked later, he's like, why did they let you in? And, and he was like, greed, money. He owed them like $31,000. And he was like, I was an earner. 
And I showed up one day with the $31,000 to pay back the debt, and they just couldn't pass it up. Little did they know that he had $31,000 of the government's money. And, and they used him through his testimony to bring down, bring down a lot of high-profile people from both of those crime families. And so naturally, then, he needed to go into witness protection. As we've heard so much about, it's, you know, it's a true thing, obviously, that it exists. And he was then under the protection of the government and was sent to live in other random places. And in interviews with him, he's talked about how hard that has been to be away from his New York City roots or Florida roots that he had. And he just couldn't stay away from his old identity. And he eventually published a mob or some kind of cookbook. Cookbook for the mafia or whatever is just sort of a total, it seems like a random thing. And he, he put it under his name. And so, you know, you've got publishers, so you can still hide and not know where you're at. But then he went forward and scheduled an interview for David Letterman for the late night talk show at the time. And so at that point, the FBI was like, you know what? Your protection is done. You are no longer under this program because you, we can't protect you if you go on David Letterman and it's announced. And so he lost his witness. For, he, he went back to his old identity. He couldn't escape it. And he had to protect himself from that, that point on. I love this story. It's a great analogy for us as we do the same thing in our lives because when we find ourselves in Christ, that we have been forgiven, and as we talked about last week, how God gives us his righteousness, we have a new identity. And because of what Christ did, he took us out of the courtroom. He took us out of judgment. The trial for you and me, for our sins, our past, or what we do wrong, that trial is over. And you need to know this, that the trial is over. The, we're, we've left the courtroom. But many of us, and if you're like me, we walk back to that courtroom of judgment and condemnation. We, we read this last week, and I'm bringing us back to it as we begin today. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. He was sin for us. He got what we deserved. and We then get his righteousness. You are forgiven fully for your past, for now, and for the future. The trial is over. The courtroom is closed. You are not only forgiven but you have been made new. You've been made new. And this is a huge thing. And so I'm going to talk through four things today that I want you to know that help lead us into lament and an identity. And here's the first one is that you've been given a new identity. You've been given a new identity. But then, you know, identity is a big thing. And we, we've been given a new identity, but we also live in the cage of identity. We imprison ourselves, and we do this. Like we're, just, we're always trying to determine who we are. Identity shapes who you are, and it's formed through all different types of methods, right? Like our family, our family background, our history plays a huge role in that. 
our experiences in life, what you've walked through, the joys, the hurts, the pains, you know, all the different things that you've walked through, your struggles absolutely inform your identity, hardships that you've walked through, maybe health problems that you've walked through or difficult people in your life or periods in history or economic issues, all of that. And we begin to form an opinion. And we view some things as good and we view some things as bad. And then we are, we are, we are also looking at culture around us and the pressures there that pressure you to try to conform and, 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 and follow and be these types of identities. And that pressure is, is huge. And when you begin to form an identity based on culture around you, you eventually become a slave to whatever you're trying to be. If it's your job, if your identity is in your job, you have to be the hardest worker. You have to, you know, enslave yourself. You have to be there all the time. You can't let this slip away because that is all your identity is. If it's, if it's about what you have and your status, you know, you've got to have all these different things and you're going to go into debt. You're going to do whatever it takes to get there. And then if you lose it all, if, if your job ends or, or you're financially ruined or your debt catches up to you, your identity crashes. It crashes. What happens is we become slaves to our identity. It enslaves us. But God wants to free your identity. God wants to free it, to free you from that. And that's why he sent Christ. Yes, God is perfect. He is holy. He is a just God, and he is pursuing justice. But he didn't leave us in that place of judgment. That's why he sent Christ. And he gives you, if you choose to believe in Christ, he gives you the righteousness of Christ. And this is who you are now, your new identity. You are free. You are his righteousness. Here's what it says in the scriptures about this. Peter is writing to us in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal, you are royal priest, a holy nation. He's like, this is who you are now, God's very own possession." As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I love it. He called you out of the cage, out of slavery, out of darkness, into his light. Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesus, he writes this. This is found in Ephesians 1. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers in Christ Jesus. He calls them a holy people. He's referring to their new identity, who they are. He gives you an unchanging, unimpacted identity. This is, that's so huge for you to know. It's unchanging, unimpacted. But you and me both, we keep going back to living in the cage we enslave ourselves to all these different pressures. We continue to identify with who we were before. All those struggles and the brokenness and the shame and the guilt. God's like, I've given you an identity. You're free from this old life. It's gone. We've entered the witness protection program. But we're still going back to the old 
identity to the previous person. You've been given a new name. God says you are holy, you are righteous. This is not who you are anymore. And so you've been given a new identity. The second point for you to know today is, is that you need to walk away from the cage. You need to walk away from this slavery. And this is where it begins to change our conversation with God. And and this is where we're going with lament, that we're changing how we interact with Him. Your standing with Him is secure. What you do is no longer about getting to Him or getting His approval or or, am I okay? Am I okay today? You do not have to worry about that anymore. Your standing with Him is secure. It's unchanging. So how you interact with Him or what you do It doesn't, it's not how you get to God. Your past, it's not based on what you have done in your past or how good you behave right now or how good you haven't behaved this week or this year. That's off the table. In Christ, you are secure. You are in Him. You are the righteousness of God. And so when you go to God, we, we can walk away from that cage. That's no longer the point of entry. Every time you engage God, you pray, you go to Him, you try to talk to Him, or you struggle, it isn't about your standing because that is secure. There are no more lines that you need to worry about. That you, did I cross too far? Is, is it just too much? The courts are closed. Like you're, you're standing inside the courtroom and, and there's nobody there. You are really free. You're really, actually free. I don't know if you've seen the movie Catch Me If You Can. Uh, it stars Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio, and it's about uh, uh, a very prolific, one of the most prolific con artists in U.S. history. I believe his name is Frank Abagnale, and he was, he was huge into check forging, which is a big deal at this point in time, and then he also was assuming all these different identities as a lawyer and a doctor, and he conned a lot of people. And eventually the FBI were on to him and trying to figure out who this person is. And it took a while, but they eventually caught him and arrested him. He was put into prison for all this fraud, just thousands and thousands of dollars of fraud in many types of forms, and he's in prison. But then, and when he's in prison, the FBI is still having cases of people, you know, fraudulently you know, cashing checks in, in pretty big ways, and they don't know how to identify it, but then they're like, wait a minute, he can, like he can help us. And so they, they, you know, re- they put him on some kind of release program from prison to actually help them figure out this fraud. And they begin to use him, and he was eventually given his freedom in exchange for working for the FBI to do this. And there's this great scene where he's worked for them for like a week, or something like that, and it gets to the weekend, and he's like dashing towards a plane to get away, because like, all he's done is just escape and run. And he's met at the airport by the FBI agent who had been with him and, and, and helped create, you know, catch him and do, you know, get him back into helping them out. And so there's a scene where he's standing there, and he's like, uh, so they're in the airport, he's going to catch a plane, he's like, so I'll see you on Monday. And... He's like, well, how do you know that I'm not going to run? 
how do you know that I'm going to come back? And this agent's reply was like, because nobody's chasing you. You're free. You've been released. The judgment's no longer on you. You don't have to run anymore. I, I love that picture. And, and in the movie, like, he shows up to work, and they make, of course, in Hollywood fashion, they make it very tense. Is he going to come back? But this is such a picture for you and me. Like, we're like, well, can I run? And like, yeah, you're free. Like, you can run to sin. Like, you can go for it. Like, you can do that. You are free. And so you can run back to that cage. But God's like, I gave my life. Jesus was bruised. He was killed. He was crucified. So that that could be put to death. And so we want to run towards our freedom. And that's where we begin to learn to hate sin. We begin to recognize Hey, uh, I, you know, there's the bait there that's always put out for us, but then we, uh, we just keep missing the hook, and then it gets us, and we have shame and guilt and all those different things. It brings us back to the cage. It becomes your master, and we're learning to walk away from that. This is how Paul says it. He's writing to the church in Rome. This is found in Romans 6. He says this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And so this is the argument people say. Like, well, if I'm free, can I just, I just keep sinning, right? And if I do that, then I experience God's grace even more. And it's like, shall we just keep doing that? Paul is like, no, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He's referring to the picture of baptism of going down the water and back up. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's your new identity, right? You're righteous. He says, for if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Do you hear this? This is, this is scripture. This is the truth of who God is. You've been set free. He goes, so then he continues. He says, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. He doesn't need to keep dying this over again. It's done. He did it once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then he relates this to us and how we should live right now. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. And this is what we're walking away from. We don't let it reign in us any longer. We put it to death. He says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. 
What this is is a change of focus. Get your focus off sin. Focus on becoming and walking towards life. Paul ends this, this section here. He says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law. You are under grace. Do you hear that? You are no longer under law. There's no cage around you. There's no box that you've got to stay inside to be okay. You are under grace. Court is closed. In Christ, you are free. Yeah, you can go for it. You can blow it. You can go for it. Do a big one if you want. Like, but why would you keep walking towards death? God died for us to walk away from it. We're walking away from slavery. So don't let sin reign in your body. It becomes your master. We walk away. We walk away from sin not because we're worried, we're trying to get God to approve us. We're, we're trying to do good works to get, to get this to happen. No, that's, that's gone. That's off the table. That's not a conversation at all. Not because we're afraid of our standing with God, but because we know it leads to our destruction. And so we are learning to our Heavenly Father that He knows what's best for you and me. He's leading us towards life. And this changes the conversation. And this is what's so awesome about this. Suddenly, His instruction to us and what we read it's not about getting it right. It's not about trying to be perfect in every moment. It's about walking you towards life. He's leading you towards an incredible story. He's leading you towards freedom. You are free. Even when we blow it, when we mess up, because we do every week, we get back up because we are the righteousness of God. So when you blow it, and I do it, I'm broken. There's still a sinful nature in me, and God's going to eventually do away with it fully one day. But I say, that's not who I am anymore. I get up. So when you blow it, you get up every time. You get up. You repent. You confess. And you walk away from guilt and shame. Walk away from the courtroom. It doesn't exist. You stand not because of what you've done or your righteousness, because you know it's broken. You stand on Jesus. So you've been given a new identity. You need to walk away from the cage. And then number three for us today, three out of four, is you need to put to death the old identity. You need to sabotage it. Put to death the old identity. We walk away from it. We put it to death. And Jesus is teaching us to hate the evil, hate the sin, hate the sin in us. We sabotage it. We say, I don't want to do that anymore. We do anything we can to get that out of our lives. We, we're not always successful, and we need Christ's help. But we need to learn to recognize the bait and, the, and then really recognize the hook that snags you and pulls you in. When we get up from our sin, we are acknowledging that that doesn't have any control over us. When we confess our sin and say, hey, I did this, but I'm walking away, sin loses its grip. And that's why we sing and say Christ so much because we can, we can be like, I've been freed.
Paul says it this way in Romans 12. He says, love must be sincere. Romans 12, 9. He says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Part of putting to death our sin is not focusing on it. Like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. When you do that, you're going you're gonna to do it because it's all you can think about. You need to put off the sin and then put on Christ. Change the focus. What can you begin to do that puts on Christ? And as you cling to what is good, God uses that to help you walk away. Here's the thing. I want you to know these things. This is crucial to the conversation of lament, which we need to walk through right now in our lives. I want you to know this because I believe that many of us struggle with lament. Because we are either still standing in the courtroom of judgment that Christ came to free you from, or we didn't really understand God's loving demands for justice and to make things right, that he paid it for us. If we're scared of that, we don't like that judgment, we don't like that he drew a line, but we, when we begin to understand, oh, his justice means that we can have peace, that that it, he will make things right. And he did through Christ. We're either in judgment or we're not understanding. And it's hard for us to lament the way God made you to be. And it's amazing. Don't you see that he has invited you into a relationship with him? You are an heir, full, a fully adopted daughter and son of his. You can go right to him. Here's what it says in Hebrews. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. This has been a key verse for us in this series. He says, this high priest of ours, this is speaking of Jesus, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we did, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly. We've been given access to the throne of our gracious God. We can just burst right in. Let us go boldly. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And right now, when the world is blown up and things are unsure and, and we, we are struggling in many different ways, you need him. You can come to him boldly. And so we come to God. We come first humbly because we know what he rescued us from and how broken we are. We also come boldly because of our, he's our perfect, loving daddy. And we've become the righteousness of God. It is your new identity. So the last thing for us today is you need to put to death the old identity, but then you need to put on the new identity. Number four is you need to fully engage with confidence your heavenly father. I really should add the word confidence there. Fully engage with confidence your heavenly father. You are free to pursue this relationship without worry of what you say. Am I going to do the right thing or not? That's off the table. Just begin to honestly engage him. And that's what lament is. Lament is engaging honestly and vulnerably with God. You just share your heart. That's really what prayer is. It's also the recounting of his promises 
recognizing what he's promised to us, where he says, do not repay evil. He says, when his judgment is on, he says, I have promised you, I will repay. You can trust me, but I will bring justice. He promises to be with us. He's had all these promises. We, we, we remember and we count the promises and we submit to his will. We're still trusting him. Especially in the moments when it's often hardest to do this. When it's hardest to trust him. When it's hardest to submit to his will. God, I don't... We say to him, God, I don't like what's happening. I don't understand. Where are you? I don't like this truth. I like the, the former self better. This is hard to stand on these principles, but I trust you. We're honest. We still engage him to lament. To lament is to cry out to him in our deepest of doubts and troubles. You, you bring your questions. You bring your confusion. That is when we want to engage him most. You are searching for answers, and God has designed you to go to him with this. All the while, fully trusting in his power and provision to deliver us from despair. And sometimes it takes time. These prayers, these prayers, this conversation, these prayers, are they're passionate and they're messy. And I think that many of us are, are afraid of that messiness because it doesn't always feel right. But you stand on that security of your new identity. And but what's amazing is they are really circling back to your faith in God. It's because of you believe in Him that you engage these conversations. I really believe the opposite of a relationship will be to, re, to would be refusing to lament, to refusing to really share what you feel inside. Doesn't God know your heart anyway? Well, then just say it out loud. Refusing is really you're not free. You've not been engaging in, a free, in a, this relationship where you are free to, to be who you are. And God many times is using that dialogue to help change us, to help understand our hearts, to help move us towards a place of action. For me, when I struggle, I am compelled towards Jesus. I come before him and I struggle. Many times my, my prayers are, God, please take this away from me. <laughs> and then after a couple of weeks of complaining and saying that, I'm like, he's not taking it away. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, God, give me the strength. But it's engaging him that helps me understand it. Lament is the very evidence of faith. It comes from our understanding, from our security in Christ. Lament and grief will lead us ultimately to healing. God made you to lament. You have a mission. You can be honest. You can be vulnerable. You can struggle. You can question. You can be angry, be sad. You can submit requests. Those are real emotions. Lament. I really believe lament two main things. One is when you are confused and you're hurt, you've been going through a lot. 
Uh, that's what we've been experiencing this year, right? We've been going through a lot. Lament is being able to confess, say that out loud. God, I'm confused. God, I'm scared. God, I'm hurt. You need to grieve, and I don't think we really fully recognize this, the, the, the things that you've been experiencing, the, the work life that has just increased, it like, feels like 200%, you feel like you've lost complete control of your life, or you're worried about your job, you live in fear, or you've been separated from people, and you're lonely, and, and you're unsure about the future, and there's all this political upheaval and everything, you need to take time to grieve and lament. And I want to encourage you to go to God with this. We say, God, where are you? But then we always say, God, I trust you. Even when I don't understand, we go to him. And then the other side of lament is when we don't see things being made right in the world. When we see brokenness and we want it to be made right, we want justice. And because we know God is passionate about justice, we can go to him. When Jesus tells us to pray, he said, let it let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know God will make it fully right one day. Well, we want to begin to see that now. You've said that, and so we want to pray for that. And so I just want to end today with these three things I ended with last week. When we appeal to God for justice, this is what we need to do. Number one is we need to condemn the sin, not the sinner. We call out sin. This is why a group of churches and pastors that we gather together in the summer to rally against racial injustice together. We wanted to make sure that people knew the church does not stand for these things. It's important for us to say out loud these racial injustices that we're seeing. It's wrong, and we need to say it out loud and call it out. People need to know that God cares, that He is a God of justice. We need to condemn the sin. We don't need to hate the people, we need to learn to hate the sin and call out the wrong that, that's, that they are doing and say, this is wrong. And, and I believe God uses that to bring about justice and to help people turn away from this. We condemn the sin. And then two, we appeal to God to bring justice here on earth. We need to go to him and say, God, how long will you wait for this? This is not happening. It's okay. We need to go to him. And then three, we trust him even when we don't see it. We trust him when it's not there. That's why in the Psalms, David said, How long, O Lord, will you be before this justice happens? But then he goes on to say, I will trust in your unfailing love. Jesus said, Not my will, but your will be done. He's like, God, take this from me. But then he said, Not my will, but your will be done. And what we will find out is God is leading us into that. And that ultimately he's using us for to bring peace and to justice, to bring help to see justice happen. There is incredible justice happening through Christ followers all over the world every day. Let's engage him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for your words of truth that we can stand on. God, I, today I pray that we would be free that we would be released from judgment and stand on your righteousness and that we could securely and freely call out to you, lament, grieve, all of it. I thank you, Father, and ask all this in your name.
Amen.